This week's podcast is sponsored by Direction. Welcome to the Investing with IBD podcast, everybody. It's Justin Nielsen, your host, and Arusha won't be joining us this week. He uh, he was tied up, so it's just going to be me. And our special guest this week is Dan Fitzpatrick. He's the founder of Stock Market Mentor and a returning guest to the show. He's also been on IBD Live. Um, we've got a lot of great stuff to talk about, Dan. So thanks a lot for being here today. Hey, thanks for having me. This is always fun. Yeah, it's it. always great having you, uh, yeah. one of our favorites. So um, let's get right into it. Okay, so it's April 12th, uh, Wednesday here, 2023, and we just had a CPI report, and then we also had um, the Fed minutes come out. And so mm -hmm. right now, it seems like there's this push-pull of, you know, inflation and recession. You know, it, it, what, what do we focus on? Um, so we'll certainly have to tackle that to a little uh, degree. And also, uh, one of the things that we're going to be talking about with Dan today is the whole concept of how do you do your approach? Are you doing the top-down approach or are you doing a bottom-up approach? And he'll explain what that means, what he does, and uh, talk a little bit about the, the screening that he does and how he finds the best setups. And then, of course, as always, we'll end with a few stocks. So, Dan, let me turn it over to you. And uh, we've got the S&P 500 up right now. What What's your take right now on where we're at with the market and what what the market's focused on? Yeah, well, I think it, well, as far as focus, I think it's a little bit scattered. Yeah, um, but, doesn't know where uh, to focus. <laughs> well, you know, that's, that's the whole thing. And it's like... Uh, <laughs> like ADD or more like ADHD, everything's all over the place. And, you know, you were mentioning about, uh, you know, inflation uh, versus economic growth, recession and all that, all that jazz. Um, that's still, it's almost like why even talk about it? Because everybody knows about it. Um, the most important uh, thing that is like the single biggest data point in the future is, when is the Fed going to come out and say, well, guess what? You know, we're not doing anything with rates now. Mm -hmm. um, and then the anticipation is the next the next move will be lower. But nobody really knows when that's going to happen. And it's I think you kind of. <laughs> this is the underlying premise for me, because it works for me in the long run. I think that the Fed is simply not good at its, at its job. I think it really just doesn't know. It's just not good at its job. And so because of that, we know what their issues are. We just don't know how they're going to handle it. It's like, are they going to get it right? Are they going to get it wrong? Are they going to push too far until mm -hmm. something really big breaks? Because that's what they always do. And we don't know because of that the this is why you're seeing the market do what it's doing if you look at say um the s p it's been we've been trying to get through this 4200 level for quite a while and once we do you know i i think that's going to be a I, I think that'll be a key point but i don't i can't really say it's going to take this or it's going to take that in order to push the S&P higher. You know, you really can't. You can try to sound smart and say, well, once they make their first cut, that's when the market's going to scream. But we really don't know because mm -hmm. the market anticipates. Right. And right now with 
you know, with a little bit of a clown car running the show, you just can't really tell. So it just really gets back to something that sounds basic and almost trite. You got to just look at the charts mm -hmm. and let somebody else figure it out. Mm -hmm. um, but if you, you know, we have these moving averages on there, um, Justin, if you look at where the S&P is, it's above all these key moving averages. Um, and that's a good thing. That shows me where support is and you're just highlighting it right there. And so do I think the bottom is, is established? Do I think the bottom is put in? Yeah, I do. I do. Mm -hmm. and, and it's simply, it, it's not because of any eternal wisdom on, on interest rates or anything else. It's just that there's so many moving averages. There's so much support under there. That's where the buying is. And also one thing for people to keep in mind is that money has to go somewhere. Now, mm -hmm. a lot of it's going into CDs and money markets because of, of what's going on uh, with the regional banks, but money has to go somewhere. And I just don't think as we get further along the x-axis, which nobody pays attention to, that's the time axis. Mm -hmm. The more stocks march sideways, the better the base is, the bigger and solid the foundation is for the, to support the next move higher. So short term, I'm scratching my head, but long term, I really think we're having a good setup. And if mm -hmm. you if you look like look at the Nasdaq composite now, keep an eye on what these moving averages are. And, and just just real quick, I want to make yeah. sure that people uh, know what moving averages we're looking at, because this isn't our typical ones. We're mm. we're using some longer term moving averages in this case, not short term ones. So we've got the 50, the red and the 200, the black, which is our normal. But uh, you had me add the 100 and the 150 day as well. So that's right. the, the pink and the green. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So go ahead. OK. And by the way, here's here's why I do that. Because that's this is a pretty noisy chart with all this stuff, but sometimes it actually clarifies. Because I'm not asking you to do this. I don't even know if you can do this. But if you just erased the price and only looked at the moving averages, this is exactly what you'd see. Mm -hmm. You'd see a, a takeoff. Um, you'd see kind of a touch and go, so to speak, mm -hmm. on this. And so of, of all the indexes, you know, the major indexes, I think the NASDAQ composite still looks the best. Mm -hmm. um, that's kind of been in the news with the large cap and mega cap stack, uh, stocks working so well. But you can just really see it in the in the index that it's working. And if you want to look at, we can kind of dig further down. And if you want to look at the mid caps, again, guys, just keep an eye on what the major averages are doing. Like that's that's a mess. You know, it looks like somebody's playing pickup sticks and hasn't started yet. <laughs> um, you know, it's just all over the place. And then the same thing with the small caps. Um, so this and is MDY, you, which is the yeah, S&P uh, yeah, um, yeah, 400 yeah. Um, ETF. And this is IWM, which is the iShares Russell 2000 that we're looking at here. Mm -hmm. Right. Okay. Yeah. So look, compare, compare this, look at where the price is to the moving averages. Like that's a ceiling right yeah. above that level. And then you go, you know, if you went back to the NASDAQ, it's the floor. And until these stocks start to play kind of catch up and get up through that 
ceiling of moving averages, you don't really want to be there. And what I'm talking about, I'm actually talking in, in this segment here, I'm really kind of talking about the top-down approach, which is mm -hmm. something that we should talk about um, you know, in, in the next segment as far as why I think the better approach is the bottoms-up approach. But when you're looking at the broader market, you know, this is what you got to look at, not what Microsoft right. is doing. Yeah. Um, and so although right is... now, I guess, you know, we, we should discuss that the, there, there has been some talk about the, the index strength lately um, masking a little bit of what's going on underneath. And part of that has been you've got meta uh, that that was meta platforms that was doing very well. Apple, Google, those were all holding up very well. But there were some individual stocks that were kind of getting raked over the coals uh, for, for a little bit here. And again, it, it kind of has to do with that noisiness where money was kind of, you know, going from one place to another. Um, so, you know, are, are, are these are these mega cap companies becoming too large of a weight? And are they are they muddying the waters even more on what's really happening with the market? That's actually that's actually what I what I think is mm -hmm. there's nothing wrong with them. You know, if if you look at, you can look at Apple, um, you can look at Meta, uh, Microsoft, NVIDIA. These are, these are four stocks that I've had <clears throat> in our active trade ideas list, which is a list that I, you know, I always try to get people in the stocks that are working. And so I keep a list of things and it's a fairly actively traded thing. And so we got into these stocks from much lower and I suggested either liquidating or at least cutting your position down on all of them simply because that's what I could see institutions doing. I mean, you look at how far this thing has run, look at where Nvidia has gone from 150, um, you know, up to 275 or so in just a very few months. That's a, that's a position that uh, a, a portfolio manager now is going to have an over, he's going to have an overweighting there. And mm -hmm. so he's going to be reducing um, that position. And where is that money going to go? You know, it's not going to go into Apple. It's looking mm -hmm. for something else for the next big winner. And that's why I think even though, and I, I don't really know, I haven't looked at them lately, whether uh, the Apples and the NVIDIAs, et cetera, et cetera, are overpriced uh, if they have a super high valuation. You know, I don't, I haven't looked at that in a while. I just think that they're stagnant at this mm -hmm. point. And to me, again, I mentioned the x-axis. If a stock's just going to be drifting sideways for a while, then maybe ultimately that's a really good thing for future prices. But for like right now, for next week, for two weeks, you know, I don't really want the sideways action. Um, and mm -hmm. so you got to be looking for the next ones. Mm -hmm. So, you know, for, for, for stocks, you know, just to be clear, you, you don't want to be like necessarily sitting in them while they're doing that sideways action. But uh, what you were saying for the index is to kind of get back to that. Yeah. Um, you, you're actually kind of fine with sideways action right now. Uh, as you said, kind of almost building, building that platform, building that foundation, uh, from which we can launch off of. Uh, how how long how long do we need to go on the x-axis in that regard to well, build a strong enough foundation? I guess. Um, it, look, in in my view, uh, I think uh, 
I think if if we if we can move sideways literally through summertime mm-hmm. into what will then habitually, you know, typically be the strongest part of the year, that's when I think that the market could really get going. Um, but it, but I have to say, in order to just be you know intellectually um, consistent, you really just have to look and see what the market is doing as opposed to yeah. what you think it should do. However, I've been, you know, I've been doing this a long time and this is, we're at this, in this kind of limbo uh, here because we didn't get a real V bottom like mm-hmm. we did in 2020 uh, with the pandemic or some of the, or the last financial, you know, the last banking crisis. We didn't get any V bottom and the V's are the ones where they're, they reflect just absolute stock puking right yeah. at the end. And then you get a str- just a spring higher that almost doesn't, it doesn't need a base just because all the money got flushed out and now it's all coming in. Unfortunately, we don't have that situation now. Yeah. What we have instead is this slow grinding thing that I think is going to take, I think it should probably take us through the summer. At least I hope so. Because mm-hmm. the longer we drift sideways, the more sustainable the ultimate rally is going to be. And this is standard Wyckoff stuff, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, stocks or markets go into four cycles, accumulation, uh, markup, distribution, and markdown accumulation, et cetera, et cetera. And so we're still in the accumulation (laughs) phase. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, So I'm showing the weekly chart here. And certainly, you know, as you mentioned, that COVID V shape right there, even, uh, you know, there was the, the period in 2018 where there was some, some kind of V shaped action with the, with the Fed kind of saying, Hey, we're going to take the punch bowl away and then saying, Oh, just kidding. We're not. Um, And, and, and some, (laughs) you know, some of that volatility crisis stuff that we have had at the beginning of, uh, you know, 2018. So certainly I think people got used to that V shape uh, yeah. and um, maybe we're hopeful that that was going to happen, but you know, that, that, that 40 week moving average line on the weekly chart here certainly mm-hmm. acted as, as a ceiling for a lot of those rallies that we had along the way. But now it does seem like we're at least putting some price action above that 40 week line um, so does that, does that kind of, do you need it to stay above there in order for you to get a little bit more confident that this, this one's for real? Yeah, I would. Um, although I will say on this, it, you know, if we got a pullback, say to 11,000 on mm-hmm. the NASDAQ, I don't think, you know, I, I don't think that would be a bad thing. I think it could certainly, um, sustain that, um, if it, it but here's the thing. The further it falls within this range, the harder it's going to be to get back above that because, you know, it's important to remember when when a stock is falling because it's being sold, somebody's buying that stock. And so the further down it goes, the more pain it leaves in its wake. Um, But if you want to go back to the weekly chart, I was just, you know, I was just thinking about something. Um, even though it's been since the mid '90s that I first started trading, um, I do I do remember this aspect of learning. You see, like the first, the you you see the first big sell off in your life, and you go like, "Oh my mm. God, I don't know what's happening there." Uh-huh. Um, and then you see 
that then you say, well, you know, maybe that's a glitch, maybe that's a fluke. And then it happens again. And you, you miss that one too, because you're freaked out. And then you say, okay, when it happens again, the third time, that's when I'm going to get it. But it never happens for the third time. I mean, it's it's always like two and then everybody's waiting for it. And because everybody's looking for the same thing, it doesn't happen. And that's what I think that's a just it's just the way I kind of look at things is how does the market learn? Mm -hmm. And the market actually learns very slowly. It factors things in very quickly. But in the aggregate, the market learns very slowly. But once it does learn, and this is my argument now with the way why stocks are trading so sporadically and haphazardly, now the market's changing. That's why, you know, black boxes don't work. You know, black mm -hmm. boxes are awesome for certain market conditions. And then when the, when the black box uh, stops working, it's more like the red box. And that's where all the money gets dumped into. Um, you know, so the market's changing and we're definitely seeing that right now. We've seen it over the last year or so, two years, mm -hmm. really. So, so when you say the market's changing, what do you mean exactly there? Well, I mean that um, there are no there are no real sustainable themes. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you've heard you hear this saying, you know, oh, it's a stock pickers market. Mm -hmm. Well, what that really connotes when you think about it is let's look at it in the opposite way. When is it not a stock picker's market? Well, <laughs> right. it's not a stock picker's market when everything just goes up. Yeah. I mean, that's the whole point. Like, ah, you don't have to pick stocks. You know, the market's doing well. It doesn't well, yeah. matter what you pick. It, it's all it's all good. <laughs> exactly. But but here's here's the point. If if it's not a stock picker's market and everything's going up. I would argue that it's even more of a stock picker's market because it's easy to get complacent and you don't care about buying a stock that's going up. You care about buying a stock that's beating the major averages that has mm -hmm. a positive alpha and the more impressive, the better it is. But to just say, oh, this isn't a stock picker's market. Well, then I assume you have all your money in the SPY and the QQQ and right. you're just playing golf. Yeah. Um, so now we really truly are in a bona fide stock pickers market where you, you really have to understand, you have to understand charting, you have to understand position sizing, and you have to understand taking profits. Because mm -hmm. if you don't understand those three things, you're not going to prevail in this market. You're going to get chopped up. That's mm -hmm. the way the market is now. And it didn't used to be that way. It bailed you out of everything. Now, there is no parole. <laughs> right. Doesn't doesn't require it requires the di discipline that you didn't need just a short time ago. Well, yeah, yeah. This if kind of brings up a good point for you before doesn't now. <laughs> yeah. So this brings up a good point. Uh, and when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit about what you're looking at when you're doing your stock picking to give you an edge. Trading Apple. Sometimes you get the bear. Sometimes it gets you. Single stock daily leveraged and inverse ETFs from Direction. Before investing, carefully consider a fund's objectives, risk, charges, and expenses contained in the prospectus at Direction.com. Read carefully.
Welcome back to the Investing with IBD podcast. It's Justin Nielsen, your host, and Arusha is on vacation, and he'll be joining us next week. But we do have Dan Fitzpatrick joining the podcast again. He is the founder of Stock Market Mentor, so it's good to have him back on the show. And in our first segment, Dan, we were talking about the market and kind of this top-down approach where you look at the market and then you kind of drill down a little bit. Um, can you can you talk a little bit more about that approach and how you might have shifted uh, as you've learned new tricks in in this market? Sure. Um, when I was when I first I first started trading in 1996, and okay. um, in in 2000, uh, I I worked uh, for John Bollinger for about six months. I basically talked my way into a job that I was totally unqualified for. Uh, it's a talent of mine that's got me fired from many different jobs throughout the years, <laughs> but I've learned a lot. Anyway, um, so one of the things that I learned- John from Bollinger, John, of course, Bollinger Bands for people that are uh, familiar yeah. with that technical indicator. So, yeah. Yeah, that's another uh, mm -hmm. that's another thing. I can't look at anything without Bollinger Bands because <laughs> it, they make so much sense to me. Um, but one thing I learned from John was this top-down approach where- you you look at the at the broader market like such as the s p uh and if the s p is working then you want to dig further and look for the the sector that's working or the sectors uh, that are working and then once you find the sectors then you go into the industry um mm -hmm. groups you know um semiconductors versus technology or then maybe uh fabricators uh you know within that whatever's working and then finally go into stocks into the stocks that are working so you're kind of really digging down to mm -hmm. find the gold um and that worked well for me for a long for a long time because as I mentioned in the last market, there are times when it's really not a stock picker's market. You just kind of buy what's working and everything seems to be working. But as I've gotten a little more refined in my, uh, in my trading and in my market knowledge, I've realized that that approach, at least the way I used it, maybe I was using it wrong. I would always find the stuff that was working really well that had been working really well and uh -huh. i just kind of i just kind of missed the move mm -hmm. because i had to dig through all these different layers again to get to the gold i'm not talking about gold stocks though they seem to be hot lately mm -hmm. um so instead what i did was as i learned more about technical analysis uh, I turned it around and I'm going like, you know what? I just want to find the stocks that are working, that are giving me these patterns that are in new uptrends, that are that have this moving average matrix that I like so much. I want to find those because if I find some of these stocks or if I find one stock that's in a sector that's all beaten down and nobody likes it and all that, but this one stock in there turns out to be a really good one, well, that's the stock I want to be in, especially mm -hmm. when it comes time for that whole sector uh, to kind of catch fire and more people, more investors are, are flocking to this particular sector. So if you can get in the winning stock early, then by the time the money, by the time the old Dan comes down to it through the top down approach, you're in a winner and you've got more profits and then you can you can kind of trade in and out of that you've got more options when you have a good profit in a stock and so that's just kind of what i found 
was mm -hmm. if I had, if I could develop certain parameters, irrespective of what the market was doing, then I could be in better stocks earlier. Mm -hmm. And then I also had, uh, you know, you have to develop or you get out of the business. I had to develop ways to manage my risk because you can be in, you know, you can think you're in the right place, but if you're losing money, uh, then you can't keep trading because mm -hmm. now you've just gone from trading to gambling and there is mm -hmm. no gambling in trading. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, you know, I guess one of the things too, that is a little bit tough when you're, as you said, if you're kind of um, looking at where the money has been going um, and, and then kind of following that, you know, you can, you can be late. And if, if you're trending for long enough, being late is okay, but certainly what seems like uh, we've been dealing with lately is things haven't been trending for very long. So if you wait until things are looking strong, then you know that that's kind of at their top, and you're 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 buying at the high and then selling at the low, and uh, that, that's kind of the opposite of what you're supposed to do. It it is it is really hard right now because just in a nutshell, breakouts aren't working. I mean, you always want to pay attention to the breakouts, but, you know, I can tell more about what a market's doing by just seeing whether breakouts are working than I can by looking at, at the major averages at the NASDAQ or, or the S&P, um, because it does all get down to what stocks are doing. And um, yeah, we're, it, you know, it used to be where if I had, because I'm a fairly active trader, but if I had a 15% profit in a stock, you know, I'm really looking, I'm really looking to take some profits in that, maybe close it all out, but really just try to take some profits, which drops my average cost basis and the rest of it, and then wait to see if a, a subsequent pullback hits a higher low to where then I can I can reload and and build a bigger position size because the stock's reinforcing to me that mm -hmm. it's where the money's going. So like 15%, 5% pullback, 7% pullback. Hey man, I'm back in and, and ready to go. Well, if you look at stock at generally speaking, if you look at most stocks, they tend to go up and down in about a 10% range. Um, as you look at the sideways drifting ones, and there's a lot of them, X, the very, very volatile ones, it's like 10%. Mm -hmm. And so to be with that said, if you're looking for a 15% gain, you know, it's not going to happen very often. So let's go with that. It's not going to happen very often. So now, now if I get a seven or an 8% gain, now I'm looking for the ceiling and now I'm mm -hmm. kind of looking for the early exit. And so my profit expectation, just based on what the market's giving me, my profit expectation is lower. And that means that my loss tolerance also has to be lower. Right. I have to be buying it at the, at the low. You know, you can't buy breakouts anymore. At some, mm -hmm. I'd love it if you do. But I have to wait for the pullback so I could buy it close to the bottom of that 10% channel. Mm -hmm. And then I start looking for the exits earlier. As mm -hmm. long as that's the kind of trading that's working, you're in a market that's not very good because mm -hmm. who wants to just be doing, doing that? 
but that's really the kind of market that we're in right now. And so it really won't be, you know, I talk about, about being stock specific and what you're trading, obviously, but you got to look at in the aggregate, just this theme of our breakouts working, mm -hmm. um, our earnings, our, our great earnings gapping up and running, or are they gapping up and then being slammed down uh, mm -hmm. by investors who are saying, finally, I got my opportunity either to get my money back or to finally take profits. Uh, as long as we're seeing that kind of dynamic, you know, I think we're still in a, we're still in kind of a tough market. Yeah, no, absolutely. So, um, so certainly the risk management part is, is, is very important. And I, I really like that concept. I mean, this is something that Bill O'Neill taught me, uh, the whole idea what he called it was the three to one ratio. You know, if you're, if you're looking at getting profits at, you know, 15, well, then you got to make sure you're cutting those losses at five. That way you can take, uh, a, a number of losses and have one gainer and, and make up for it. Right. Um, and, and, and that, that's just the way the math works. Right. Well, yeah, most traders, uh, they don't understand mathematics because they don't want to know how bad they are. Um, <laughs> you know, it, it's it's really sad, you know, but it, it's really true because trading's fun. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'll just say this. If your dopamine is going off the charts and you're getting adrenaline rushes all the time, you're doing it wrong. Um, it should actually, you know, kind of be a little bit boring and mechanical. And so, um, you know, what I, I always go back to this, are you making money? Mm -hmm. Are you making money? And if the answer is no, well, then the response has to be, okay, we well, got to do something different. Is it you or is it the market? And right. maybe it's the market, but if it's the market, it doesn't matter because you're, you're not doing well. But what you're talking about with respect to the math you know, there's really two components to that, and you got to get to both of them. And that is the win-loss ratio. Obviously, how many how many gain how many winning trades do you have versus how many losing trades do you have? But then we get to the other part of the math, which is what you're mentioning uh, with uh, with Bill O'Neill. What's your average gain versus mm -hmm. what's your average loss? You can have a 500 batting average and blow out in no time flat if you don't have position size and risk management parameters with stops down. On the other hand, you know, you can have a, a, a 300 batting average and build a career on right. that if, you're, if your losses are small and your gains are big. And you're also going to find out that and you you know you have to accept that your your big your big increases in your account are going to take place from very few trades mm -hmm. most of your trades most of your profitable trades are are not going to really move the needle in the portfolio too much maybe a little bit um but not a lot and then every once in a while you get this one that really, really hits it out of the park. And that's the one that really jumps up your account. But you have to be there in order to get that one. And I'm not talking about really just, oh, this is the one, this is the one. Uh, I'm talking about, there's this principle called the Pareto principle, where mm -hmm. it's like, 
you know, it's just the same thing with, with employment, like 80% of your work comes from 20% of your employees. You know, we're mm -hmm. seeing that in some of the tech, like Twitter and <laughs> Meta, and, you right, know, right. they're ditching all these, they're ditching mm -hmm. the 80 percenters and keeping the 20s. But mm -hmm. you see the same thing in, in your trading. At least that's what I've seen is my big gains are the ones that take the account higher um, the rest, I'm just kind of treading water and hopefully keeping my nose up above it. But then you also have to look at the flip side of that. If you're a, if if you're going to blow up your account, you didn't blow up your account slowly. 20% um, of your losses are responsible for 80 80% of the you know of the drop in your in your account. So it's just really important to understand the math. Yeah. Uh, if you once you understand the math, here's the way I look at it. Once you understand the math, then you have a true understanding of what your trading process and what your trading results are. Only then can you fix it because yeah. you can't improve something if you're not measuring it. How do you right. know whether mm -hmm. you're getting better or not if you don't have an objective measurement? That's such a that was such a big revelation to me on a lot more levels than just trading, but certainly to trading. You gotta measure it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So let, let's get into this a little bit deeper. You know, you, you kind of explain the top-down approach and and the bottom-up approach. So um when when you're doing your stock picking, you know, what is it that you're looking for specifically in order to say, mm -hmm. okay. This is this is a setup that's worth taking a shot on. And as you said, they don't all have to work. You know, right. it's just you have to be trying enough of them, you know, and the ones that don't work, you you cut your losses. Um, mm -hmm. But trying enough of them, that's what's going to get you those few winners that will be uh, moving the needle. So what what is it specifically that you look for? Well, the first thing I look for is to cut out most of the stocks. Because if I'm looking at the market in general, looking at all stocks um, or, you know, see what's on CNBC or Bloomberg or Fox Business and, hey, what are they talking about? Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's not going to get me too far. If I'm doing TV, then sure, maybe I sound real smart if I talk about something that goes up, but that doesn't make anybody any money. So what I do is right off the bat, and I learned this from Paul Tudor Jones, if it's if a stock's below the 200 day moving average, it's literally dead to me. I mm -hmm. don't even want to don't even want to look at it because I might do something stupid like try to catch the bottom. Mm -hmm. um, and so if it's not above the 200, I don't care about it. And then that would be my initial filter. And then I'll just kind of dig down. My idea is to get, get it more and more narrow, which when you think about it, that's exactly what market smith has on your different uh on your different parameters where right. you start on your scans you start with the broader market and gradually you know you start from like seven thousand stocks and get down to 150 or mm -hmm. something by applying parameters and so my basic ones even to get to that point are price above the 200 day moving average also the 50 above the 200 day moving average um, and I'll talk more about that in just a sec, as far as the 50 day moving average, but on a fundamental, what's well, not, well, on a fundamental basis, I want to see the EPS be say above, um, 85 or so. Um, and, and then from the a EPS rating, pardon me, the EPS, oh, the EPS rating. rating. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
And then on the uh, on the relative strength, I'm also looking for 85 on that. Mm -hmm. And so that gets me just those four parameters. They'll get me a, a group of stocks that I can get my arms around. Now, I, you know, you're always going to miss something. Uh, and mm -hmm. frankly, you know, I'd say, yeah, like on that one, you go from 9,600 down to 194. Um, but I will, um, I, I acknowledge that I'll miss the best ones. And that's just trading. You're always going to miss the best ones. You just want to get more good ones than bad ones. But this helps me, helps get me in the right direction because with relative strength ratings that high, then you know institutions are buying it. Otherwise, the relative strength wouldn't be that great. Um, mm -hmm. And then with the EPS ratings, that's again, that's the stuff that institutions uh, like. And so if I'm going to fish, you know, I, I want to fish where the fish are and mm -hmm. institutions know where that is. So I want to fish with those guys and maybe just catch a little guppy uh, and go along for the ride. But I know that uh, a lot of people require the price to be above the 50-day moving average. I don't really want to limit myself to that. And I'll, I'll tell you why. Because some of the things that we've been talking about just with this moving average matrix or hierarchy, uh, what I've found is some, some of the best trades that unfold are ones where the 50 and the 200 are really pretty close together and mm -hmm. they're they're kind of trading sideways and mathematically that means that the stock's been trading sideways for a while or those moving averages wouldn't line up and sometimes you'll get this volatility explosion from a stock that's actually been below the 50 mm -hmm. day moving average for a while mm -hmm. And if I don't have that stock on my radar because it didn't hit it, because it wasn't above the 50, that's something that then when I see it, because maybe I'm scanning for volatility squeezes and, you know, a big move higher above the upper Bollinger Band, then I look at it and I go, well, crap, why didn't I see that before? Yeah. yeah. And it's because it was 2% below the 50 day moving average. So it didn't get on my screen. You see so, it, but it's too late. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I just, yeah. that's something that I just dispense with. And I think there are other, uh, other traders in, in my arena that don't, you know, they, mm -hmm. they require the price to be above that. Um, mm -hmm. I, I just don't. And I think it's just because of the type of setup, uh, that I look at. So it's, well, and it gives you a little tolerance way, level. It's just my way. Yeah, it gives you a little tolerance level there too. You know, again, yeah, especially yeah. when something is going sideways, it's a little bit easier for it to be kind of trading maybe a little bit up and down around that 50-day moving average line. So you, yeah. you don't want it to kind of drop off your radar too quickly. Well, so. and see, we're talking now in a situation like that, you also want to be looking at volume. Um, mm -hmm. You don't want to see high volume when a stock's trading sideways like that because the whole idea is, it's a sleepy stock. Um, there are, uh, you know, weak hands, so to speak, just people that aren't, you know, retail traders that aren't really committed to the stock. So they're liquidating a bit, but it's holding up at a certain level because there's somebody down there buying it. And so yeah. the supply and the demand are, are pretty evenly balanced without a lot of these gyrations. And in that case, then there comes a certain point you know, where the, where the rubber meets the road, 
when the supply dries up, is there enough demand to push it up uh, to another level? Or is, there a, is it a situation where when the supply dries up, there's a little demand that squirts it up, but mm-hmm. not enough to follow through? And that's why, and that's kind of what we're getting now to yeah. go, you know, zoom out a little bit. That's why breakouts aren't working. There's not enough money saying, I got to get me that stock right now. Mm-hmm. Everybody's got these alligator arms, you know, <laughs> they're not <laughs> the, reaching out too far. The, 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 the T-Rex arms. Huh? So, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. Well, when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit about some of the stocks that are on your radar and maybe you can get into some of these concepts a little bit more deeply. Sure. Yeah. I yeah, look forward so to it. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. The stock market moves quickly and it could be a lot to keep track of. But what if you had a team of experts feeding your research and trade ideas every morning? Market DM by Investors Business Daily is a daily newsletter that boils down everything you need to know about the stock market into a five-minute read. You get actionable trade ideas for stocks and options in your inbox every day, plus educational lessons to help you elevate your trading. Subscribe today for only 20 bucks a year. Just go to investors.com slash market DM. That's market D-I-E-M to get started. Okay, welcome back to the Investing with IBD podcast, everybody. It's Justin Nielsen, your host, and Arusha. He's going to be joining us next week. He's taking a break this week. Uh, but we do have Dan Fitzpatrick. He's the founder of Stock Market Mentor. Uh, this is a, a great site, and I wanted to kind of give people a little bit of a chance to, uh, you know, as as we kind of learn about some of the stocks that are on your on your radar, I wanted to met, mention where where can people find more information about you, Dan? I know you have a Twitter. You're pretty active mm-hmm. there at Dan Fitzpatrick, um, right. and then also your website, I assume. Um, yeah, stock. I have Stock Market Mentor, which is really kind of the home base. Um, I also have an option site, Option Market Mentor. Very creative that way. Um, okay. <laughs> and uh, and and I I run both of those sites, so I'm doing stocks and options in you know di- different ways, but um, yeah, if people, we, we're doing really well over at Stock Market. I've been doing that since two, uh, 2006. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. So it's really a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun for me. Mm-hmm. Well, and yeah. I'm, I'm sure it is fun for your members well, as well. We got uh, people that have literally been with me since 2006. So, yeah. you know, they've either forgotten that they're paying or they really <laughs> like me. <laughs> okay. So, yeah. So I'd love to have people give it a try. Yeah, awesome. Well, let's uh, let's get to our first stock here that is on your radar right now, and this is this is one we've been talking about, uh, Arista Networks. And so, uh, certainly, I mean, the the computer networking group. Um, this this is this is absolutely one of the leaders. So, what is it about the 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 stock chart here that is attracting you? Okay, yeah. If start with the weekly chart. Okay. And, and this was another one. I mean, I I do I get a lot of my I'd get a lot of my stock ideas from uh, from people in our in our trading room, and you know. It, it, but the thing is, it's not like you look at a somebody points out a stock and you say, "Oh yeah, yeah, that's right." They just point out a ticker, and then you're looking at it and you're going, "Okay, well, I, I think that guy's going to lose money the way he's trading it." But wow, I really see something here, and so I looked at this weekly chart. And I see that this thing has been at a top of 150 bucks since December 2021. That's 15 months of a high basing pattern, which is kind of, you know, if you look at that and compare it 
to what this was doing prior to that, starting as I'm looking at your chart in say uh, March of 2018 um, on until December of 2021 uh, or 20, yeah, right there when it broke out. This is doing this is doing the same exact pattern, and this is on a weekly chart. And so I'm I looked at that, and I see that if you just do a you just do a, a simple kind of a cocktail napkin down and dirty measured move where you're measuring the depth of this cup from 150 down to the June low of you know around 90 bucks that's 60 dollars and so a real simple technical analysis uh measured move is okay if it's a 60 dollar depth then once it breaks out we can expect it to run 60 bucks um mm -hmm. on the upside v just kind of very general rule of thumb thing well that takes us up to above 200 bucks to about 210 and the way this is looking, I mean, that to me is my price target, at least 200. Um, but then, so, you know, you see what I'm, I'm looking at from the, from this latest low in last June, and then a higher low in October, and then a higher low still in January of this year. This is really giving you kind of a, an inverse head and shoulder continuation pattern. You know, that would be a Frankenstein head and shoulder pattern. Um, <laughs> but, but it is giving some, you know, you can call it a cup, you could, whatever you want to call it. I just call it a really good looking pattern of higher lows and a flat top. And mm -hmm. when a stock like this on the weekly chart breaks through a flat top, then, then here's what you have to look for. You say, okay, how far is it going to go? before it pulls back. And then you say, okay, it's looks like it's going to pull back. How far is it going to pull back before it goes again? Okay, mm -hmm. well, we see that playing out here. Now flip to the daily chart and you can see exactly what's happening. Um, this thing popped out above one, 150. Well, it popped out above 150 um, back in uh, mid-March and it ran right up to 170 by you know like two weeks later a week later that was the initial move and it was on pretty good volume um i mean the volume bars during that time yeah the blue ones there these are skyscrapers and that's what you want to see and then since that time when the stock peaked on the 23rd it's been retracing it's been pulling back okay but here's the thing first of all the pullback has been on declining volume. I'll take that any day after the kind of move this has had. And how far has it pulled back? A little over 6%. Okay, well, after the kind of run that this has had, I'll take 6% too. And look mm -hmm. at the volume bars, declining volume. And so this is on a daily chart, you know, it's you know, on a daily chart, it it, look, it still looks good. Um, it's a little bit overbought for my tastes with respect to like a short term um, trade, three or four days. It just seems like it's got more uh, needs uh, to be consolidating a bit. But when you look at that weekly chart, 
in my mind, this is a stock that you want to buy and hold for a bigger move, but mm -hmm. you can't buy it for a bigger move and then sell it two weeks from now because you got stopped out for a 3% loss. You have to decide, what am I trading here? Am I trading the fundamentals and a weekly chart or am I just doing an impulse buy and then I'm not going to give it any room to move because I'm a swing trader at heart? I mean, you, you have to decide. And the way you can hold for a bigger move, by the way, is keep your position size small. So you're mm -hmm. not risking many dollars. You can always add to it when it works. But if you look at the, you know, at the EPS rating on this, it's 98. You look at the relative strength rating, it's 96. The, you know, um, and I'm actually, you know, I'm actually seeing you know, one little it, one little bone I would have to pick with the RS rating is um, back in uh, on the last peak uh, mm -hmm. in uh, in RS a uh, couple you know a few weeks ago. I'm trying to I don't have my market smith up, but that last peak was higher than yeah yeah that one that was higher than it is right now. So mm -hmm. and yet the price has hit a new high. So. It's like the price has hit a new high, but the RS rating has not hit a new high. So, you know, that's that's a little, hmm, I don't really like that too much. But then what you want to do is you just want to zoom in and see how it's behaving uh, in more of a shorter term basis. I'm not going to let something like that uh, keep mm -hmm. me away from the stock. You know, I just think they've got really good fundamentals, a good fundamental story. And I think the... Um, the institutional buying is, it looks pretty obvious. This is not profit taking. Um, right. If the stock did not break out or if it broke out and then immediately fell, then you would say, well, I think this, this move is over. It's a fake out, but I don't think so. I think this is more of a long-term hold. Mm -hmm. Very good. Well, let's go ahead and uh, shift gears over to another stock that begins with A, analog devices. Uh, also, uh, you, you mentioned chips before, and mm -hmm. the chips are certainly in one of the strongest groups, uh, one of the strongest groups right now. This is in the semiconductor manufacturing. So uh, talk to us a little bit about ADI. Yeah, I, I like this for a lot of the same um, reasons. If, you know, we're just talking about the relative strength on AristaNet here, you know, I have a problem with that on the weekly chart as well. It's 90, which is good, um, but it's, you know, it's it's not as high as it was, yeah, right where you're drawing there. So that's a little bit of a negative too. Uh, I like the Aristonet pattern better, but mm -hmm. you see the same elements here. RS of 90 certainly gets it in the wheelhouse. And then you look at the that the EPS rating of 92, um, composite rating 98, timeliness. I mean, everything's kind of lining up. And if I was just looking at Bill O'Neill's parameters, I'm pretty sure it's 100%. And okay. so at that point, now it just becomes where's the trade? You know, I, I want to look for the trade on this stock. And this was actually one that, um, you know, every once in a while I'll help Jim Cramer with his off the charts um, segment. Uh, okay. A lot of people don't know. I actually helped Jim. Uh, on his during the first week, I was on vacation up skiing and he contacted me and he said, hey, I want to do this chart thing uh, every day next week. Can you help me write the program? And I'm going like, 
sure. Riding charts or doing skiing. Ah, you know, On your whatever. vacation, right? Uh, yeah, just what you wanted. Yeah. Yeah, so I've been helping him with that ever since. And this is this was the one that I, I mentioned to him. And I was really focusing more on the weekly chart on this one as mm -hmm. well. Um, but it's a little sloppier than Aristonet, yeah. but it does have the same the same kind of characteristics where I would look at that um, that uh, trough, say, if you go to the weekly chart, you'll see it um, from top. Yeah. From that top there um, to the bottom, it's about 50 bucks, about 50 bucks. And, and then you've got successively higher lows and that's right where the breakout is right around 190. So this is a stock as, as we're doing this right now, it's not a it's not at a good setup. It really kind of needs to work uh, to do some work more. Um, it's holding at the 50, but out of the last three, four, five, six, seven, out of the last seven trading days, only one of them has been an up day. So it's and that was on fairly low volume. So this is still a stock that's under distribution uh, short term, and I just think it needs to build a base. Uh, more, mm -hmm. but it's definitely one to keep an eye on. I mean, just because you look at a stock and it doesn't quite have the setup that you're looking for, you that you can't take that off your list, or you're never going to have any stocks that you're looking for. Because typically, you know, an, an entry point is going to be like one or two days, something yeah. like that. So you you want to have that list and then be setting price alerts so that you're not always saying like crap you know it's wednesday i should have seen this last friday right mm -hmm. yeah the, 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 certainly uh especially in this market this is not a market that's very forgiving if you're chasing stuff you know no it's not if, if you're chasing you're buying from somebody who wasn't yeah you know? <laughs> right exactly um so okay let's uh let's go ahead and round this out with uh one of these kids is not like the others. Okay, so Marathon <laughs> Digital. Yeah, uh, this, this one looks quite it. different. Uh, yeah. What what is it that is attracting you about this one? Because uh, again, it, it does look very different. I mean, just uh, again, this this blue line that we're looking at here, and uh, uh, for those of you that are listening, you can always look at some of the chart analysis that we're doing at investors.com/podcast. But you know, this this blue line that we're talking about, this is the relative strength line. This is actually a comparison of the stock versus the S and P five hundred. It's actually a little bit different from the number here because this number, the relative strength rating, uh, does compare that stock versus all stocks in our database. Um, so the relative strength line has been, you know, pretty pretty brutal here. But the relative strength rating is a 93. So yeah, yeah, it's kind of interesting there. But well, EPS rating of four. What what's going on there? <laughs> well, hey man, it's kicking the crap out of uh, a few stocks anyway. Yeah, um, that's true. Uh huh. Yeah, no, it's uh, from a from a fundamental standpoint, it, you know, it's it's probably only slightly better than Enron was. Um, <laughs> you know, it's just horrible. However, well, at least you know they're the not daily... fudging their numbers, right? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> who knows? Maybe they are. Maybe they are. But go to the go to the daily chart on this, and I'll I'll show you something. Now, look at the the box in the upper left hand corner with the EPS uh, history and then um, you know forecasts. 
in 2022, you know, hey, man, they only lost basically six bucks a share, which for a $10 stock now, that's kind of a big <laughs> loss. Yeah. But they're projected to make 25 cents in 2023, which isn't a big deal. Uh, but then you look at 2024, they're projected to make 68 cents. That's 172% um, upside. So one could say that's a breakout. That'll be a breakout year. Okay, well, that's way in the future. I mean, hell, we're just trying to get through the next Fed meeting. Um, but that is something, you know, I would never trade just off of that. But it's something that just makes me go, hmm. And then I look at what they do, okay? They mine cryptocurrencies with a focus on the blockchain ecosystem. And right now for various reasons, and you know, my compadre Scott McGregor knows more about um, crypto than I'll ever learn. He could address something like that. But for a lot of different reasons, crypto's really starting to, to take off. And so you got stocks like Marathon and, and also Riot and uh, MicroStrategies, which, you know, we don't need to get into. But you're really seeing a good, yeah, well, there's Riot. That's another great one. Mm -hmm. um, you're really seeing these kind of crypto-oriented stocks, which have been absolutely crucified um, for so long, they're starting to catch bids. And if you think about what I was saying in the first segment, as far as, um, investors kind of rotating out of the larger mega cap stocks searching for something else. I'm not going to say all the money's going into Marathon Digital. I'm sure it's not, but something's happening here. Um, but it's also, if you go back to the other things that I was saying, you know, it's it's pretty much a rule breaker in every sense of the word. Um, it stayed, it was below the 200 day moving average all the way up until like Monday, two days ago. Yeah, right. Yeah. So the only reason I saw this stock again was because somebody called it to my attention, but it's breaking just about every rule that I talked about. However, I look at these squeezes and this was a classic squeeze. And so I, you know, fundamentally it doesn't make sense. It is like you say, one of these is not like the other. This would be the one. But I really think this one has some legs, especially, you know, we'll get into a little top down. Like if you go back to Riot, you know, it's the same, uh, same industry, really. Blockchain, that's also taking off. Um, and, and you can see it's been in a very, very long base. It's essentially shaking everybody out, everybody that rode this thing all the way down through 2022, you know, they're, they're either going to be buy and hold forever, or they've already rotated out of this stock. So now it's getting a new group of, of buyers. And I like to look back about six months or so and say like, okay, what's the stock done over the last six months? And why am I doing that? Because I want to know whether people that are in this stock are winners or losers. And in this case, um, people that are in this stock, it's a total generalization, but guess what? That's what trading is, is you're generalizing about what the crowd is going to be doing. You know, if you look at Riot, everybody that's bought in the last six months, man, they're winners. Um, so now the question is, are they going to sell because they're losing money? Well, obviously no. Are they going to be taking profits? 
Sure, maybe, but look at the chart. There's going to be people that are going to be happy to get them out of that trade because they're buying. And then you look at the same thing uh, with micro strategy. And I remember back when in, 20, in 2020, when Bitcoin was going through the roof, you know, micro strategy, I forget the CEO's name, uh, you know, he was, he's just all into Bitcoin. Um, right. And the stock is just screaming. But then when Bitcoin fell, you know, micro strategy kind of became micro stock. Um, but now it's moving up, uh, I think, in, you know, it, to some extent in sympathy with um, with uh, Bitcoin. It's not, you know, it's, it's different than the others as far as exactly what they do, but they have a big Bitcoin holding. And so right. this is kind of more of a thematic uh, thing, but, but, you know, so I like Marathon. I, I have, I own that. Um, I like Riot and I don't think, you know, full disclosure, um, yeah, I have a little bit of Riot as well. Um, so I like both of those. But as far as entries, I like Marathon better right now. Okay. Well, great. Uh, and, and yeah, as you mentioned with MicroStrategy, I know that they did, uh, uh, you know, uh, change CEOs. Uh, Sailor was the one that was right, uh, right, right. Very, very into the, the Bitcoin. And, you know, he was basically saying, well, why hold cash? Why not just put it in Bitcoin and, you know, have well, it do something? Then he found out why to hold cash. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, very good. Well, hey, Dan, it was a real pleasure having you on the show. Really appreciative of you sharing your insights, sharing some of your stock ideas and uh, the, the way you're looking at things. So uh, thanks a lot for, for coming on. Well, thanks for having me, Justin. Uh, really appreciate it. It's always fun. Always yeah, fun. I'll Always a pleasure. Um, and again, you know, you can follow Dan at uh, Twitter at his handle at Dan Fitzpatrick. You can also find him at Stock Market Mentor, uh, where he has a paid service uh, where he's giving a lot of information to his members. So uh, thanks again for joining us. Well, thanks, Justin. Okay. And when we come back on next week, we're going to have Arusha back and we're also going to have Matt Caruso back uh, from Caruso Insights. So uh, he's another one of our uh, go-to guys for podcasts and IBD Live. So hope you join us for that. Thanks a lot for watching this week and we'll see you next time. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review our podcast if you haven't already. We'd really appreciate it. You can also send us your questions and comments to investingpodcast at investors.com. We would love to hear from you and may use your comments on an upcoming episode. This podcast is for informational and educational purposes only, and nothing should be construed as a recommendation to buy, hold, or sell any securities. Make sure to consider consulting with your financial advisor before making any investment decisions.